This morning we're finishing up our Advent uh, series. We've been in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this, this whole uh, four weeks here, um, uh, where we've been looking at these four names that were prophesied about the Messiah. Uh, Isaiah says, A child will be born for us, a son will be given to us, and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Uh, of, of all of the names that, that we have considered uh, so far in this series, this one might be the one that gives us the most trouble. Um, I say that because, uh, you know, if you're paying attention at all, for example, this week's news headlines include stories of uh, war in Ukraine, civil war in Ethiopia, uh, some say that the, the, the war between Israelis and Palestinians is uh, this year the bloodiest that it has been in 20 years. Um, a very disturbing story that I heard this week was about women in Iraqi Kurdistan who are setting themselves on fire uh, to escape the abuse that they suffer uh, under Muslim men. This is horrible. Uh, closer to home, uh, news stories report hate crimes at record highs, uh, depression and self-harm on the rise. 30% of families are experiencing some level of estrangement within their family. Uh, in this past month, I've heard of uh, three young couples that I know all married less than just a few years, who are divorcing, uh, strife in the home. Um, and as an example of, of how world events impact us locally this week, uh, we've, we've been praying for a local health care worker who asked someone in our church to pray for her brother who is in the Ukrainian army and has been captured by the Russians. Um, I, I'm saying all of this, not because it's news to you, but I, I, I'm just saying that if, if we open our eyes and look around, most of us can recognize that there's very little peace in our world today. And yet we have this prophecy um, that promises peace to us. Uh, last Sunday, Chrissy asked all of you to write down your favorite Christmas carols, and um, we're, we're going to do our best to, to sing most of those. Um, probably not going to do Here Comes Santa Claus uh, next Sunday morning, but um, sorry for whoever wrote that down. But um, among the favorites uh, that, that we got back is I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. And um, the words uh, of that poem that later became the song uh, were written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, one of America's uh, great poets. And as you probably know, if you're familiar with the song at all, each stanza of the poem repeats the words from the angel's announcement to the shepherds that the Christ child would bring peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Uh, some of you may also be familiar with Longfellow's 
personal story surrounding that poem. Um, He had lost his first wife when she miscarried. Uh, They had only been married a little over three years at the time. Uh, Two years prior to writing this poem, um, he lost his wife of 18 years in a fire. And he had been burned badly uh, while trying to save her. And after her death, uh, Henry slipped into a deep, uh, dark depression and vowed never to write again. Uh, Some say that he had begun to agree uh, with Nietzsche and others who claimed that God was dead or at the very best, asleep. Prior to his wife's death, Henry had written much about slavery in the South. Uh, He was a a devoted, fierce abolitionist um, whose uh, dreams were that his writing would help to end slavery in our country, but, but here it is, 1863, and our country is in the middle of uh, a civil war. To his horror, his, his eldest son, Charles, had enlisted in the army and uh, was now recovering from a near-fatal gunshot wound. Pretty dark time for Longfellow. Uh, as he recovered, uh, his, his oldest son, Charles, urged his father to pick up his pen again and write again. Uh, it seems he thought that, that Henry could uh, maybe be lifted out of this deep depression that he was in if he would just begin to write again. And, and he did. He, he picked up his pen and he chose for his first poem... Uh, the, the words peace on earth, goodwill to men as the recurring phrase that would tie the stanzas all together. There are seven stanzas in the original poem. Uh, the first three speak of the hope of peace on earth that the, the Christmas story promises. And then the next three stanzas turn dark, really dark, as Henry considers his, his personal turmoil, and the, the realities of this horrible war that the country was engaged in. So as he came to that sixth stanza, uh, overwhelmed by the lack of peace he saw as he looked at his family and his country and the world around him, he wrote these words. And in despair, I bowed my head There is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Maybe some of you this morning feel the same way as we come to this passage in Isaiah. Peace on earth? You kidding? There's no peace on earth. What I see is is hate and greed and and violence, senseless violence. And this this promise of this kind of peace, uh, maybe especially at this time of year, makes us feel like giving in to despair. 
or, or hopelessness. Everyone pastes on, you know, their Christmas holiday smiles, but inside uh, we see a world that seems to be falling apart. David Wells is a professor at Gordon-Conwell Seminary, and speaking to this hopelessness that he sees in our culture today, he says, the human spirit is sagging beneath the burden of emptiness. Sagging beneath the burden of emptiness. And I wonder if if that describes some of us here uh, this morning. If it does, and and I'm sorry if it feels like I've I've begun this sermon on a downer, uh, if that resonates with you this morning, I want to ask you to keep listening. Not because I have some quick fix to make all the troubles of the world go away. I don't. Uh, Not because I'm going to give you some inspirational holiday cheer, you know, to carry you through the rest of the season. But I'd like you to keep listening because I believe uh, that there is an explanation and an answer to this lack of peace uh, that that we experience uh, in our lives and in our world. So before we go any further, let me just invite you to pray with me one more time. Jesus, Prince of Peace, uh, we we hope for that, we long for that, but honestly, uh, sometimes it's hard for us to see that. Uh, We don't seem to experience it. And so we ask this morning that you would speak your peace into whatever chaos we might be experiencing this morning. Please do that. Amen. Well, as I have done with uh, each of the previous names that we've looked at in this series, I'm going to have us look at the Hebrew words that Isaiah uses, and then we'll see if we can bring those concepts uh, forward into our own culture and understanding. Um, and I'm, I was realizing during the opening worship that I may, not, I may not have saved this right. No, it came across okay. It's not great. The Hebrew is a little wonky there. But um, just a reminder, if you, if you don't know this, uh, we read Hebrew from right to left, not left to right. Um, so the, the first word there is uh, sar. Uh, It means commander, uh, chief, captain, prince. Uh, It's a title that either denotes royalty or or, uh, says that that person is representing the king, right? And in this case, we we know already that the person that Isaiah is uh, talking about is a king uh, because earlier in this verse, he says that the government will rest on his shoulders, This, this new Uh, government, this new kingdom that will be um, inaugurated, uh, established, will rest on his shoulders. This is the king that he's talking about. So another way to translate this might be royal commander, if if that helps, just stated in a slightly different way. And then Isaiah tells us what kind of royal commander he will be. He will be known by his peaceful rule. Now, many of us know that the Hebrew word for peace is shalom. That's the, 
That's the Hebrew to the farthest left there. That's shalom. Uh, We translate that as uh, peace. Uh, But the way we use the word peace is significantly different than the way the Hebrew uh, is used, the, the meaning of shalom. And uh, it was already alluded to uh, with, the, with the Walters reading. And thank you, Walter. That was beautiful. Thank you for, for doing that. Um, but one of the best definitions I've ever come across for shalom uh, is by Cornelius Plantinga Jr. in his book, Not the Way It's Supposed to Be. And in there he says, the Hebrew word for peace means much more than the absence of conflict or the end of turmoil. In the Bible, shalom means universal flourishing, wholeness, and delight, the webbing together of God, humans, and all of creation in justice, fulfillment, and delight. And then his his last sentence sums it up so well. Shalom, in other words, is the way things ought to be. Don't we all sort of have a sense of what that should look like? The way things ought to be, right? And Plantinga's uh, definition captures, I think, the essence of how contemporary Jewish people define shalom. They define it this way, nothing missing, nothing broken. I love that. That's peace. That's shalom. And it says so much more than our English word peace, I think. Uh, Every person who has ever lived would love to know that kind of shalom. And I say that because that is what we were created for. That is what we were meant for. That was what God intended. That kind of wholeness. Nothing is missing and nothing is broken. And there's something in us that still wants to believe in that, still longs for that. But, like Longfellow, as we look around, there's, uh, there's not much evidence of it in our world, in our, in our families sometimes, sometimes even in our souls. And so we may find ourselves, as David Wells said, sagging beneath the burden of emptiness rather than thriving in the wholeness or shalom that the prophet promised. So what do we do? What do we do when our experience doesn't match the prophecy? Uh, I've, I've said many times before when we've talked about prophecy, especially of, of uh, the Messiah's kingdom, uh, that it's important for us to recognize that there is an already and a not yet aspect uh, to these prophecies about the Messiah's kingdom. There are certain aspects that, that we can enjoy now, and we'll, we'll look at some of those in a minute, but there are other aspects that are, that are out there. They are, they are yet to come. In verse 7 of Isaiah 9, the, the verse following the one we've been in uh, these, these last four weeks, um, Isaiah helps us to look out into the future uh, with hope. And, and I want to remind you that uh, biblical hope, the way the Bible speaks of hope, is not wishing. Okay? That's, that's not hope. I hope so. Right? 
um, biblical hope is, is really different. It's this confident certainty based on the promise of a faithful God. That's hope in, in the biblical concept. Uh, that, that, that what God says he will do, he most certainly will do. Okay? That's biblical hope. So look at, at verse 7. Right after declaring that Messiah's fourth title will be Prince of Peace, Isaiah says, his government and its peace will never end. I think it's the King James uh, that, that talks about the increase of his his government of, of, of peace. Um, it, it's not just that it goes on. It increases. It grows. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. The passionate commitment of the Lord of hosts will make this happen. Friends, the day is coming when King Jesus will rule with shalom. He will be a different kind of ruler for a different kind of of kingdom where everything, everything will be as it should be. We, we truly, uh, in that kingdom, will experience, experience nothing missing, nothing broken. How can I say that? Well, it's the last phrase of verse 7. The passionate commitment or zeal of the Lord of hosts, will make this happen. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will make this happen. The God who created the universe out of nothing, the the God who who led his people out of Egypt and, and fed them with cornflakes from heaven called manna, The God who conquered sin and death when he raised Jesus from the dead is passionately committed to seeing this peaceful kingdom come to fruition, come into being. He will do it. Yeah. And this future hope is what allowed Longfellow to write the last stanza of his poem. He wrote, Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong will fail, and right will prevail with peace on earth, goodwill, to men. Friends, that's hope. And we can have confident hope in that. We need that kind of hope. But that's out there always, isn't it? So what do we do in the meantime? Is there no peace to be known right now? I believe there is. And I want to suggest three ways that we can experience Shalom in the, in the present. The first kind of peace that I want us to consider is peace with God. You know, since sin entered the world, humanity has, has been at war with God. We have been bound and determined to do things our own way, to, to be really our own gods. 
uh, to, to say it in that way. And as long as we maintain that posture, we are disconnected from God. And the Bible says that disconnected from God, we die. Good news is Romans 5, 1 says that we have peace with God, shalom with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. What has he done for us? Romans 5, 8 says that while we were still sinners, Christ did what? He died for us. While we still hated God, he came and brought peace. Colossians 1.20, the, the end of that great Christ hymn that we looked at a few weeks ago, we learned that uh, by the shedding of Christ's blood on the cross, he brought us uh, peace with God. In his letter to the Ephesians, Paul takes it even further. For Paul, and theologians can get in this eddy or, or whirlpool of atonement theories, right? For Paul, this wasn't just an atonement theory. Peace for Paul is a person. And that person is Jesus. Ephesians 2.14, Paul says that Christ himself is our peace. Not just that he can bring peace, but that he is peace personified. And so we know from this that we will never, ever know true, lasting peace, shalom, wholeness, unless we know Jesus, the embodiment of peace. So that's the, that's the first kind of peace that we need to experience in, in the present, peace with God. The second kind of peace that the Bible talks about is the peace of God or the peace of Christ. And this is a peace that, that starts in the heart. Um, one of the problems we have with our, world, uh, our word peace is, is that um, most often it's, uh, it, it's an externally manipulated pseudo-peace, not real peace, uh, that tries to control people and, and circumstances to give, I guess, an appearance of, of peacefulness. Not the peace of Christ. The peace of Christ starts in the heart and, and leads us into deep shalom at the, at the deepest levels. Colossians 3.15, Paul says, let the peace of Christ rule. We looked at this just a few weeks ago. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Shalom begins here in the heart. This is where the broken pieces are mended. This is where emptiness is filled so that nothing is missing. How do we do that? How do we let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts? Well, in Philippians 4, Paul tells us. He says, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the peace of God, which surpasses every anxious thought, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So Paul says, instead of worrying, getting all knotted up with anxiety, we are to be thankful and tell God about our concerns. He's the only one that can fix it anyway. Tell him about your concerns. And somehow when we do this, our hearts are guarded with the peace of God. 
And then Paul gives some specific examples of things we can think about that will foster peace in our lives. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any moral excellence, and if there is any praise or anything praiseworthy, think on these things. Do what you have learned and received and heard in me, and the God of peace will be with you. And so that this, this makes me ask the question, what do you fill in your mind with? What are the things you think about? What do you read? What kinds of TV shows do you watch? And, and I'm not talking only about watching trashy pro- programs or the Hallmark Channel, I, which has plenty of trash on it anyway, right? Do the things you watch foster peace in your life? I've, I've got a friend who quit watching the news because he found that every time he watched it, he was angry. And he's not trying to hide his head in the sand, but he just found that wasn't bringing a lot of peace into his life. careful what you think about. Be careful what you put in there because it can rob you of the peace of God. So here in the present, while we wait for King Jesus to set up his never-ending kingdom of shalom, we can experience peace with God and, and many of you have, have done that. You, you have recognized Jesus as the one who brings peace, reconciliation with God. If you haven't, that's the first step. Because then and only then can we experience the peace of God, the peace of Christ that rules in our hearts. The third kind of peace uh, that I I see in the Bible that, that we can experience in the present is peace with others. It's interesting that this prophecy about a prince of peace originally came to a group of people who had neglected their mission to bring blessing to bring shalom to the nations around them. That's not what God intended. God has always intended that his people would take the good news of his peaceful kingdom to the people around them, always. So peace isn't something we were ever intended to keep to ourselves. In Matthew Uh, 5.9, Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. I said this before, but you know there's a big difference between peacemaker and peacekeeper, right? And Jesus didn't say, blessed are the peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. Um, I'm a peacekeeper by nature. Um, I hate conflict. I really do. I don't like it. Uh, when, when conflict happens, my natural response is to just sort of turtle up, you know, head down in my shell. I, I might try to restore peacefulness in conflict, but 
so often my natural way of doing that is, is to say, well, can't, can't we just get along, everyone? Right? But peacemaking is different. Peacemaking steps out. It, it reaches out to the other, reaches out to the marginalized, to the hurt, to the angry, even to the enemy. Peacemaking looks for ways to bless and to help. It genuinely says from that peaceful heart, may there be nothing missing, nothing broken in your life. And then it goes beyond those words and it looks for tangible ways to bring peace into the chaos of others' lives. And and in those three ways, I believe that right now, in the present, when nothing much around us seems peaceful, we can experience peace with God, the peace of God, and be a part of, of making peace with others. As I close, I think there's, there's just two important takeaways. They might have sub-points, but really two things that I'm, I'm hoping that, that you can walk out of here with this morning. And the first is this. I, I think it's critical that we not lose hope in the promise of, of God to bring an everlasting kingdom of peace, an everlasting kingdom of shalom. I find that way too many Christians treat this promise kind of like the little girl in Miracle on 34th Street. I believe, I believe. It's silly, but I believe. That's not hope. That's not what we're talking about. We have a God who is passionately committed to this. In fact, I'd say it this way. His reputation is on the line. If you believe in God, you can believe that this is going to happen. So don't let your current circumstances cause you to to doubt God on his promise. Don't lose hope. And the second thing is while we wait for the return of King Jesus to bring uh, this, this final restoration of, of ultimate shalom. Uh, we got to let his shalom rule in our hearts. And then we have to move obediently with his spirit to bring shalom into our broken and, and needy world. Um, we were never meant to just sit around and do nothing while we wait for the king to return. As... as uh, Jesus says in many of his... Uh, Jesus has really harsh words for people who have that mindset. Just sit around and wait. <sighs> Wish Jesus would come back. I do too. But we don't sit around doing this until he does. Okay? There's, there's work to be done. And, and I believe that as we do our part to live as citizens of his peaceful kingdom, we, we bring the not yet into the already. What do I mean? 
as I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, that space in here, and I'm doing that just because we we visualize that sort of as as where our heart is. Of course, we're not talking about the organ inside our chest. We're we're talking about our, our center of being, right? As I let the peace of Christ rule in my heart, that space becomes a little part of that future kingdom. As I let him rule in my heart, he's ruling there. He's in charge there. He's king there. And as I share that peace with others, then the kingdom can spread. And here's the thing. I I believe that when we do this, we... Uh, when, when, when we experience that peace with God, experience the peace of God, and we work at, to, to be peacemakers in a world that knows no peace, something happens. It stirs up our hope in that future kingdom of peace because we get to see little glimpses of it. We say, I want more. And I believe in a God who keeps his promise and it's coming. So rather than live in that place of despair where we look around and say there is no peace on earth, we can live today into the reality of our hope that says God is not dead. He is not asleep. And with Longfellow, we can say one day, one day, All of the wrongs will fail. And God will set everything right. Right will prevail. Because God is passionately committed to making this happen. I believe that with all my heart. I really do. Let's pray. God, there is so much in our world uh, that cries out against this promise. Uh, We see it in Longfellow's poem, an honest wrestling with this. We see it in our own lives where things don't feel, don't look like shalom. Help us. Help us to let your peace rule in our hearts. Help us to move out of ourselves and move to the other and do what we can to bring shalom, wholeness, uh, healing to the people around us. Fill us with your peace, we pray. In Jesus' name, our Prince of Peace. Amen.